Hello and welcome to a brand new Power Half Hour on the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Greg Mahochko, and joining me is my co-host on the West Coast. Love lifts him up where he belongs on the West Coast. Uh, He's a global man, and he belongs anywhere he wants to be, and that's Chad Smart. Chad, I apologize. I really did not uh, do you justice on that introduction. I only was half listening. I was kind of, uh, <laughs> browsing. I, I was looking at Twitter, and I, I just have a question: Is it just me, or does Alex Jones look like Bully Ray, Bubba Ray Dudley, depending on your knowledge of of the Dudley wrestler? Well, hold on. Let me Google who Alex Jones is. He's the Infowars guy. Oh, um, gay. He's on trial now for Sandy Hook um, I, defamation. I think that comparing him to Bubba Ray is an insult to Bubba Ray. Well, probably, yeah. I think comparing him but to I, I don't any, think any human is an insult to that other human. But that's fair. I don't. I I can see. I mean, look, he's white. We all know white people look the same. Um, True. So, uh, you know, if that's the comparison you want to make. Um, just, you know, tread, tread lightly. All white people with goatees all look the same to me. I, I do have a goatee and I, it makes me wonder who you're picturing. I mean, you're seeing me with a goatee. You're like, that does look like Steve Austin. Uh, oh, dang pal. No, you have hair though. So I, it was Royal rumble 2012 in St. Louis. My buddies and I was a group of four or five of us. Uh, we all were going to the Rumble, and we'd all discussed previously that we were going to dress up as our our favorite, you know, wrestlers of, of the time. Now, Grant, 2012 is well beyond, uh, you know, Austin's uh, prime. Um, but I, I had a buddy who's an Edge fan. He said he was going to dress like Edge, and 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 I might have borrowed this idea from you and Kevin in your WrestleMania trips. But another one's like, I'm going to go like CM Punk. And I was anticipating that some of these fuckers, I mean, guys would put in some effort. I shaved my head, (laughs) goatee, Austin shirt, jeans, black boots. I shaved my head and the other guys were like wearing T-shirts. And then one of them, when we're at the, um, I guess now it's the, uh, uh, Oh, Enterprise Center, but it used to be Keel Center. It used to be Scott Trade, yep. where the yep. St. Louis Blues play uh, and and where most of the WWE events take place. And he went to the merch stand and bought some of those like kids uh, CM Punk tape looking, you know, little wrist armband, yeah. armband things with the X's on them. I was like, you jackasses, I shaved my head. And then, you know, I'm walking in the concourse going up the stairs and some little kids like, Dad, is that Steve Austin? Is that Stone Cold? I turned around I'm like, yeah, it is. Flipped him the birds and stomped. Bum, Kicked him with bum, the gun. Bum. That's right. <laughs> no. Um, so I appreciate the fact that, you know, I look like Steve Austin with hair in your eyes. That makes me happy. No, now, I didn't say you look like Steve Austin <laughs> with hair. I just said you have hair. <laughs> so I don't think of Steve Austin. <laughs> All right. Steve Austin, why don't you, uh, uh, you know, geez, get off your ass, grow your hair out. Could you imagine like the next I'm time Steve Austin, 
went went to uh, uh, showed up on Raw or SmackDown or something. He had gray hair. <laughs> like, who is this guy? <laughs> It'd be great. Oh, uh, look, we're talking about some uh, fantastic sports entertainment moments and memories. But what we're going to do this episode of the Power Half Hour is talk about some of our favorite sports memories and then maybe transition into some, well, sports of today and and perhaps maybe why, you know, as we get older and sports is everything and maybe as we get older and, and we diversify our our pool of interests that maybe some of these things don't, don't, um, uh, linger in you know some of these more recent memories don't linger in and the chad the reason that i uh thought of this topic and, and appreciate you going along with it is a few days ago over the weekend i watched a documentary on disney plus courtesy of espn and the 30 for 30 uh series and it was long gone summer the summer of 98 chad it was mark mcguire sammy sosa the home run chase that put butts back in seats at major league baseball stadiums all across the country. Um, I don't remember much about the strike of 1994, the M- MLB player strike. Uh, they, they walked out. That was it. Uh, got locked out. However, these things work. I do remember Mark McGuire, Sammy. So, so th- by this point, I was, you know, 13. No, wait, let me do math. I'm sorry. I was 15 to 16. That's that summer of uh, 98. I went to games that year. I went to a lot of games that year. Um, you know, saw some of these great home runs from Big Mac, Mark McGuire. And I remember exactly where I was September 8th at 8.18 p.m., the fourth inning when Mark McGuire broke Roger Maris' single-season home run record with number 62. Uh, oddly enough, uh, the shortest home run that he hit uh, all year long and I remember I'm downstairs. My, my mom and dad are watching the game upstairs. I'm downstairs in the basement. I'm hooping and hollering. And I run out the uh, the back door. We had there was a walkout basement. And I jumped again, 8:20 at night in September. And I jumped in the lake behind our house. And mom and dad thought I was nuts. But such was my joy, Chad. I couldn't contain it. And I was like in all my clothes which is again, why they thought I was nuts chat. Do you remember? I'm not saying I'm not at all equating a sports moment to like a real life tragedy. You know, like the, when we get people of our age bracket, you know, come across this, do you remember where you were nine 11, you know, for our, our parents' generation, it was when, when JFK was shot. I was going to say, do you know where you were November 22nd, 1963? You have an alibi. My dad was nine. So I have a very good alibi. <laughs> um, but do you remember that moment in 1998, Chad? I do. But first, I'm going to go back to the strike of 94 because okay. the thing you need to know about that strike is it led to the creation of one Abe Knuckleball Schwartz. A uh, 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 cross the picket line player, um, professional wrestler. He, the Brooklyn brawler, became a baseball player who painted his face to look like a baseball. Oh, and then WWF at the time 
uh, did a bunch of little promos saying we never go on strike. We never have an off season. <laughs> we don't really care about our employees health. We're going to keep them out there busting their butts year round. So I don't think he said that though. Well, he didn't. I mean, I think that came from, you know, Vince, but he just, <laughs> he would carry a sign saying I'm on strike, I think, or yeah, he. Interesting. Well, good, good pull there, Chad. I, I'm glad we were able to bring this back into any time that we can take just a little glimmer off of my one, two, three cents, the podcast uh, by, by mentioning wrestling. It's, it's a good, it's a good show. So, uh, but going back to 98, yes, I remember where I was. I was in the studios of New Country Z100 in Southern Illinois. I was training to become a new DJ, a uh, new weekend DJ. And so I was sitting in the booth um, with the nightly DJ. And I happened to walk back into the kitchen area where they had a TV and the game was on. And I got there probably 30 seconds before the whole crowd was hit watched it and then walked back into the into the dj booth and said park mcguire just broke the record and so did you throw any extra inflection on there there chad uh you know probably a little bit maybe (laughs) uh or maybe not i don't know but yes i was like he has done this and then i think during the next you know stop in the music the dj mentioned it and uh, congratulated big mac and uh, then we all went and I'm not going to say what I was going to say because I don't want to put us up for defamation. Well, lawsuit. so here, here's the, th- this was something that was building all summer, you know, I mean, it, it, from, from the home or from the opener of the season, he hit a home run in the first game of the season. And, and it was all like on track off and running, you know, a, a, a downward, I don't even know if you can call it a slump, but in, in that documentary, he's like, yeah, for some reason, July, August, I don't know if it's heat. I don't know if it's, you know, getting tired or whatever. Uh, but this was the story across baseball yeah. all summer long. So it didn't have that. While it was massive uh, in, in its uh, accomplishment, it didn't have that shock factor. It didn't have that surprise factor as say like a um, Mike Tyson, Buster Douglas, you know, yeah. um, there, there was no, there was building that anticipation rather than a, and, and it's, you know, um, right. it, was it something that you followed along in that summer of 98? Um, I'm trying to think. I know I was aware of it. I, I don't think I was paying, you know, probably when he got closer to breaking the record, probably paid a little bit more attention to the games to say like, Oh, okay. Is it going to happen? But no, I don't think I, you know, I wasn't hanging on, every pitch and every at bat it's like oh you know is he gonna get a homer this time i'm sure we talked about it uh with my friends and with my dad and stuff but i don't really remember my question to you would be i mean it was it was amazing that he did that but do you think it would have been as uh entertaining as anticipated if it would just been Mark McGuire himself, or do you think because he had the battle with Sammy Sosa at the same time to see like who was going to do it first, did that add anticipation, especially, you know, for Cardinals and Cubs fans, you had that natural rivalry. Because, and and this is something that, uh, you know, learning, watching the documentary and bits and pieces. I do remember from gosh, 24 years ago. Um, But you know, initially everybody thought it was going to be Ken Griffey Jr. 
And to this day, I don't think you'll ever find a smoother swing than Junior uh, at the plate. Sammy was not really thought of um, until he hit 20 home runs, set a, a, a record that may or may not stand to this day. It probably does, but 20 home runs in June and kind of got everybody like, oh, where the hell did he come from? You know, that type of thing. Uh, McGuire admits in the documentary that, and I'm not, folks, I'm not going to sit here and rehash the whole documentary, but he says like, you know, I, I knew of him. I knew he was a ball player, but I didn't know, you know, it, it was the race that brought those two guys together. Uh, but Mark does say, you know, and I have no reason to speak that. And I agree with it even before watching. He's like, yeah, there's, he needed somebody to push him, you know? And, and even after they both had hit 62 and they're going into the final week of the season, Sammy at one point had 65 while Mark was at 64 or something like that. So uh, McGuire hit, I think three home runs over the final two days. And, and, but he's like, he's like, I, I got there first. I wasn't going to let him walk out of the season with the title. You know, it's like, I broke the record. It was going to be mine. And, uh, but I just remember, and maybe it was the fact that I was 15, 16 that year. You know, I, I went to a lot of games. One of my best friends, my best friend, you know, to this day, uh, his, his dad was air force and I didn't know it at the time, but they were going to be leaving midsummer of that year. So we went to a lot of games. It was just, you know, like me and my friend, his dad, or maybe his little brother there too. We went to a lot of games, paid like eight bucks and sat in the nosebleed seats. And, and I, we went to a game on a Sunday afternoon. That was probably like a noon first pitch, something like that. That game went 17 innings against the giants. McGuire had a home run. Uh, Barry Bonds eventually hit a home run in extra innings as well. But like we start up here and again, for the purpose of those listening, I'm putting my hand all the way up because we were up in the nosebleeds. And by the 16th, 17th inning, we were down, you know, in the lower, lower levels uh, because people just like it's Sunday in July and it's hot and we're leaving. Um, right. But I had a lot of great memories of that summer because of all the games that I went to for cheap, you know, so. Yeah. That's interesting looking. Cause I just looked at, you know, when you mentioned King Griffey Jr., I was curious how close he ever got to break of the record. And I looked up um, most home runs in one season. Uh, Ken Griffey twice had 56 home runs, both in 97 and 98. Yeah. What I didn't realize is so McGuire broke the record in 98, ended up with 70. The next year he ended up with 65. So, you know, he would have broke, he broke the record essentially twice. Right. Sammy Sosa in 98 ended up with uh, 66. And 99 had 65, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, in 99, he had 63. And then in 2001, had 64. So I did not realize that he was so prolific in the home and run. In 2003, he got caught with a corked bat. Yeah. Uh, he was the MVP of the 98 season. And to their credit, the Cubs did go on to the playoffs where the Cardinals did not. Um, so he, he, he used to... And, and I don't blame him. You know, like, yeah, he got the record, but we got the playoffs. And it didn't, you know, they didn't go any further there than they did. You know, they didn't win at all, of course, until 16. Um, but, you know, it's such an achievement that everybody thought, well, gosh, this thing's never going to be broken. And then what, 2003, I think, is when uh, Bonds hit 73 or, you know, something 2001. like that. 2001. Thank you. I knew yeah. it, I, I knew it was two, one of those two. Um, and, and that – has certainly not come without controversy. Similarly to 
you know, McGuire, I'm not, you know, we didn't talk about, I don't think we need to talk about the, the, um, Andro, you know, things like that. He, at the time it was not a, a banned or illegal substance. It was sitting right there on his shelf in, in, in the, in the locker room and was what it was. And, and listening, I'm not a Mark McGuire apologist by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I was, I'm just a, you know, some, you know, when I get thinking about it, I'm just a 15, 16 year old kid again, you know, going back to, to those memories, but he even talked in the documentary. He's like, yeah, well, it was to, you know, similar to, and I don't know your, I don't know if we've ever talked about this, but like pro wrestlers, you know, there, there's Conrad Thompson makes a, a good argument that he's like, yeah, you know, if it's a legitimate, if it's football, hockey, something like that, then yeah, maybe you don't need, um, you know, in any supplements or something like that, but this is performance. That's like saying, you know, guys in Hollywood don't, you know, don't do anything to bulk up for that superhero role, you know, <laughs> just go to the gym eight days, uh, eight, eight times a day for, for six months and, and you'll get big. He's like, it, it's performance. You know, you wouldn't say you, you'd say the same about a woman in Hollywood getting some enhancements. Um, you know, it's just help to improve the the day-to-day, the recovery, things like that. And, and, and I got way further into the weeds on, on this than I intended to, but you well, know, McGuire said, quick, you know, cause after Barry Bonds broke the record and then, you know, he's been accused too of steroids or, you know, Balco. Performance yeah. Um, and, and one argument that I've heard, kind of justifying it is you still have to make contact with the ball. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's not like shooting a basketball, you know, uh, I, I actually saw a little diagram yesterday that analyzed how long you have to, from the time the, the ball leaves the pitcher's hand to the time you hit it. And it's like 400 megas or milliseconds or 500 for somewhere around there, megas milliseconds. So you still have to know, how to hit, you know, you can't just wildly swing, hit the ball and then have it hit down. You still have to have the skill right there. I mean, you have to assess the type of pitch where the pitch is going to be located and, and try to make contact. And it's why as someone who could never do any of those things, I have one official hit in my uh, varsity baseball career. Uh, So, uh, you know, just like any other sport there, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids who play at, you know, at the little league and high school level, thousands of kids who play at the college level and hundreds of guys who play at the professional level, you know, like it, it, you weed out, you know, the, till you get to the very best. And, and before any of this stuff from McGuire, and again, not an apologist, but he was setting records when he was uh, uh, playing baseball in college at USC, you know, he was hit, hit records and to the point where he was going there as a pitcher and, and the coach is like, yeah, we need your bat more than we need your arm. You're going to move to first base, you know. Um, he had 30-something home runs one year in, in college. As I mean, you look at him, he's a he looked kind of like a twig, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we got for, a lot further into that conversation than I intended to. The other one that I want to talk about, it because that was – I don't know if that was a nation-unifying sports mm-hmm. moment – but one that definitely was. Well, I would at, say real quick, I think it is, at, at, you know, going back to the 94 strike, I think that 98 season helped get fans back into the ballparks. And it's, uh, you know, it, it was what baseball needed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and unfortunately, you know, other than uh, a Black Sox type scandal, you can't really stage a home run <laughs> derby like that. You know, you can't 
said like, okay, Maguire, you're going to go out. You're going to break the record this year. You know, it's just like, no, they, cause they weren't giving him lob pitch, pitches, you know, and, and everything. So. And, and I think one of my favorite things is Steve Traxel, the Cubs pitcher who uh, was the pitcher on the mound when Maguire hit number 62. He was like, yeah, we struck him out in the first inning. Uh, he's like, we're not going to change our approach. And it, it, I, it tickles me to no end that this Cubs pitcher 24 years later still uh, pissed off that he gave that he served up number 62. It, you're right. I mean, they're they they were not they're going after him. They're like, we're not going to pitch around. I mean, you I think maybe since then you've seen him more like, oh, we're going to pitch around the big bat, you know, and and, and pitch to somebody oh, you know, yeah. potentially you lesser. A whole discussion about why baseball is so terrible these days, <laughs> in my opinion. So uh but I there another unifying moment in American sports was the winter of 1980, like Placid, the miracle on ice in the semifinal of the uh, 1980 Winter Olympic Games, the United States beating the Soviet Union. Um, I think too often, maybe maybe not so much now, but I think the assumption for the longest time was that that game was for the gold medal, but that was actually the semifinal uh, game. Um, but I was not born yet, you know, similar to uh, November 22nd of, of uh, 1963. I was not around, um, but you were alive in 1980, Chad, and you uh, were a, a ripe old man of eight. Uh, Six. No, I would have been, well, at the time of the Olympics, I would have been five. Damn. So. And that's right. It was Kevin who was 80. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I do not remember the Winter Olympics of 1980. I don't. What? No, I don't remember the, you know, in my world, I'm sure I was getting excited about the release of Empire Strikes Back in a few months and probably still playing with all my Star Wars toys. Okay. But, and, and, you know, it, it's interesting because the Miracle on Ice, I, you know, I was trying to think about this right before we started recording when you brought up this topic that I don't think I even was aware of it as a thing until probably the last decade to 15 years. Like it just, I, I, again, I didn't follow hockey. I didn't, you know, the um, summer Olympics were always more, more important than the winter, um, except for when Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding had their beef. 94. Uh, no. Yeah, uh, 90, 96. Two. Two? I think it was 92. I think it was before they split the, uh, I think it was when the sports, you know, the summer and winter were in the same year. Uh-huh. But, it, you know, like I remember the 84 Olympic, Summer Olympics in LA. Uh, 92, you had the Dream Team. 96, you had the bombing. So those were my um, Olympic moments, per se. However, um, when I started the quest with my friend Mike to go on see every NHL team. That's when I started knowing more about hockey and hearing and heard about like uh, the miracle on ice. And on a trip when we did Ottawa, Montreal, and Buffalo all in one week. In between those three games, we actually went to Lake Placid and toured the Olympic arenas and went to the arena where that game happened. And um and they had like the little booth set up to, you know, you could watch the famous uh, Michaels call. Yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, it's, it's interesting. My, my takeaway was more about there's no way Lake Placid could hold an Olympics today because 
it's a very small town. Right. They, they said like there was one road in, one road out. You <laughs> parked five miles outside and then rode a bus into the town for wow. the games because they just don't have the space. I, I'm curious about that because Lake Placid is, is I mean, it's still there. The rink is still there. And it got me thinking that I think last year, 2021, Major League Baseball uh, played a game in Dyersville, Iowa, at the Field of Dreams. Do you ever foresee the NHL going and playing like an annual, you know, game, or would they not? Because Field of Dreams is, is based on it, 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 it has like a an American identity, whereas the the miracle on ice it's u.s versus soviet russia and maybe you know with most of the players being from russia like ah maybe we shouldn't you know yeah i think uh a a difference too is and i just lost my train of thought but it was you say with baseball what the i i had i had a really good or serious thought here is going to be like no this is why they would never go back to like placid it uh oh i I was gonna say more you know the nhl has gone with their winter series yeah that they've started doing in big and football stadiums right so i think they want that more than a memorable smaller you know they want yeah they want to make as much money as possible without charging too exuberant of fees for tickets uh, I I do think there's a world. I don't know how they do it, and maybe they wouldn't or couldn't. But it, in the vein of Major League Baseball working with partnering with the Field of Dreams, uh, you know, Dyersville for an annual because I think they're. I mean, they're going to do it again. Mm. Where like the Indiana Pacers play the Bulls or. You know, the Memphis Grizzlies or something in some small, you know, little little gymnasium a la Hoosiers. Yeah, I don't see that ever happening either. Okay. <laughs> because it it's all about money. It's all about the money. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, you know, if you play in these smaller venues, then you jack up the price and the diehards will go. But you know, it's it's going to be it's I think that going way off uh, tangent on another tangent, that's, that would be more of a, you know, uh, political 1% versus the 99. Uh, that you're trying to serve. That, yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I think that's a bigger issue with sports in general these days is that, you know, I, I mean, yes, you can go on like StubHub or these secondhand sites for teams that are terrible and base. I mean, for baseball, you can get cheap tickets because they play so many games, right. but basketball, fo- especially football, which, you know, only has 17 games. You can't get tickets are not affordable for families to be able to go. No. And I, I think um, we were talking about this on, on a, another show, just the cost of like, so it, it, it's well-documented. I'm a Nebraska Cornhusker fan. And just trying to take a family, like if I try to take my family, maybe not this year, you know, when the twins are still one, but in a couple of years when everybody's a little bit older, if I tried taking them to Memorial Stadium in Lincoln, Nebraska for a football game, buddy, I better get ready to drop 300 bucks on tickets or, or per person. 
Uh, I, well, that's a good question. I, I haven't, you know, but there, you know, maybe it was made, made nothing's cheap anymore. And, and if you cut down, if you take seats out, you know, like some arenas or some stadiums are doing, uh, you take some seats out because you want to remodel and have, you know, uh, more suites and things like that. Well, they're not going to take an L on the money. They're going to, you know, right. bump up the prices on everything else to make sure that the income is still coming in. So exactly. And, and, uh, you know, it's even worse with, uh, actually I have an article article pulled up right now, right before we recorded about, um, concert tickets and how the use of dynamic pricing in tickets is bad because if it's, if an event is selling, Oh, it's popular. Let's jack up the prices because people want them. And how this has remained legal, uh, other than I'm sure Ticketmaster is donating tons of money to politicians. Uh, you know, and this is where I go back to my um, my non fandom of Pearl Jam anymore because I'm like, you guys fought, and now you are, you know, you fought Ticketmaster to try to fight this, and then you just kind of gave up. Actually, I don't know how that. <laughs> but they but they don't you know they're not out there fighting out now they're like oh, okay ticket master sell our tickets yeah jack up the prices on the resell well you know we're still gonna do our show we're still gonna use you and so um i really wish i could think of a good pearl jam pun to end this show on but uh oh uh, what you're saying is that you're you're, you're struggling mentally like the elderly woman behind the counter of a small town convenience store or something like that This is a production of the Jittery Monkey Podcast Network. For more jittery shenanigans, go to jitterymonkey.com.